amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and blessings, and welcome to another installment of the Gist for Freedom of Space. This show is produced by acclaimed historian, educator, and author Leslie Gist and serves as our weekly live online discussion to celebrate the African-American experience by honoring all the people, past and present, black and white, who, with faith and focus, are preserving our rich history through literature, the arts, the skilled trades, and the humanities. We thank you for joining us tonight, and we'd love you to be a part of tonight's discussion by calling in with your comments or questions to 347 324 Okay, I want to welcome everyone to uh, the Guest of Freedom. I'm your host, Preston Washington, and uh, I am on with two uh, movie uh, producers. Um, Would you introduce yourself, gentlemen? Yes, this is Don Perry. I'm the writer-producer of the film, Through a Lens Darkly. And this is Thomas Allen Harris. I'm the director, writer, and producer of the film, um, produced along with uh, Don, Perry, uh, Deborah, Will- Deborah Willis, uh, and um, Ann Bennett, and uh, wrote it with uh, Don Perry and also Paul Carter Harrison. Okay. And has the film opened or about to open? Well, it's opened in New York. It's opened in Chicago. It's in Milwaukee next week. Uh, it played in um, in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, uh, for a one date last week, and it'll be in 16 cities. Oh, Hudson! It's in Hudson, New York, and it'll be in 16 cities over the next two months. In 16 cities and two months. Okay. Um, describe to our listeners uh, the nature of the film uh, without giving too much away. Well, the film is basically about uh, the history of black photography and the way black uh, photographers have used the camera as a tool for social change from 1840 to the present. Uh, it, uh, it, it deals with representation uh, in terms of how the black subject was imaged and, and how those images were used in order to create uh, a, a social, a political, and a cultural space for uh, black people in the country, um, as well as uh, kind of the counter-narratives that were used to try to justify uh, some of the inhumane treatment of of black people uh, by picturing them uh, in in some derogatory and and stereotypical ways, many of which, many of the stereotypes uh, continue to the present day. But we... We, we have basically done uh, a film that examines the construction of race and deconstructs how that was done and how African Americans have taken uh, control of their own self-image and, and created images that are much more affirming uh, and, and much more validating 
of, of our true experience. Okay, so I would imagine that goes back to uh, the Civil War and slavery. Do you have some it goes examples back there? It and goes after, back before the Civil War. Okay, well, let's start with the Civil War and slavery. Well, actually, and I, th- I think it's more interesting to, to posit the fact that when people think of photography in the Americas, right, uh, right, they don't necessarily associate the fact that one of the earliest photographers, because this, this technique got started in France uh, by a man named Louis Daguerre in the 1830s. And in 1838, uh, a free man of color named Jules Lyon was in France who studied this technique with Daguerre, and he brought that technique back to New Orleans, becoming one of the one of the very first um, photographers in the country. So right there, I think we start the film with something that most people are completely unfamiliar with: the fact that there, you know, in terms of the earliest beginnings of this technique, this medium in the country, there are black people. And, and we are right in the right in the thick of it in terms of, of introducing this technology, and then as, as we go through the film, uh, using this tech, pushing this technology forward uh, in, in in really very critical ways. Um, so our listeners, in case they might want to look that up, could you give us a spelling on Jules Leon? Yes, and, Jules J. And give, yeah, and before that, give us a little history on how it is that uh, Jules was in France in 1838 well he was a free man of color in new orleans and uh, at at that particular point in time uh new orleans was considered an open city uh people could come and go and 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 even uh people of color could come and go they could own property they could do things that were not necessarily available to them in other parts of the of the deep south um we don't go into the full history of what brought him to France and how long he was there, but what's most interesting for our story and where we pick it up is the fact that in 1839, he's opened a studio in New Orleans, and as far as we can tell, that's, that's either the first one or certainly one of the very, very, very first uh, studios to open. And it begins this whole process then of studio portraiture, which is so integral to the beginning of, te- uh, of, of photography. Jules Leon, it's J U L E S L I O N, Jules Leon, and uh, he is really you know, one of the one of the pioneers of, of photography, studio photography, uh, and the bringing of photography to the U.S. Right. I now, understand. you were going to you, you were going to go into the Civil War, and and that's another very fascinating period because in the history of photography. Uh, the way the black subject is shown, uh, we are enslaved and we are destitute, we are poor. But and a lot of that comes uh, from the framing of the black subject by white photographers in that very early days of the medium. However, it's important to understand that there were a lot of black photographers. I mean, what, what, the way you learned this was by apprenticeship. And there were a number of black photographers who were learning from each other and, and were going around and shooting uh, you know, the citizens of the communities in which they lived, many of whom were black. And so the portraiture that we that we have in the film from that particular era show a very wide diversity and richness uh, of, of black subjects. 
that you know, most of which are images that we've never seen before. And you know, just some of the photographers that we cover, uh, there's Augustus Washington in the 1850s. Uh, there's uh, uh, J James Presley Ball in the 1850s, early 1860s. Uh, we've got the images of black families uh, that you know, went into the studio and looked nothing like the, uh, the kinds of things that we're used to seeing. Um, we've got uh, wealthy planters. We've got people, uh, you know, wealthy Mississippi planters who are black, um, and and their portraits are being displayed right besides, uh, you know, the people who were the founders of uh, Procter and Gamble, the Gamble family, uh, from the 1860s. We have a wealth of images uh, of the 1860s of Civil War soldiers who were black. 186,000 black people served in the Union Army. And as uh, Robin Kelly, one of the uh, people that we've interviewed for the film, he's an academic with UCLA, uh, one, one of the statements that he makes is that when you look at these images, it, 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 it basically says, we freed ourselves. It, it wasn't that Abraham Lincoln freed the slaves. You look at these soldiers, you look at these officers. I mean, most people have the, the sense that you know, the blacks who were in the military during the Civil War uh, were serving under white officers, but that's not true. When you look at these images, you're seeing black officers who were commanding black troops. Uh, I mean, this, this is a whole history that has been hidden from us, that has been absented from the record. And why is that? That's one of the central questions of the film. Can some of these images be seen at Harvard or Schomburg uh, Library there in New York City? Uh, some of them can. Uh, this is one of the other elements about the film that, that uh, you know, we, we, we use it as a call to action to digitize more of these, these archives uh, because unless you're a scholar, unless you're doing academic research, these are kinds of images you would never come across because they're buried in some of these archives. But even be, beyond that, a lot of the images, and we looked at 20,000 images and we whittled it down to 950 for the film, a lot of these images were never meant to be public images. Most of these images were intended uh, as family photographs, photographs that were going to be sent uh, from a person going into the Army when they share that with their loved ones or a person who uh, uh, you know, had moved and they wanted to, to, to send the reminder back to the people they left behind. Uh, these were family photographs that were in family photo albums, and they're now come down to us as historical artifacts, some of which are in, are in public archives, many of which are in private archives. Man, 20,000 images? Are there any famous images, any iconic people from that era that we haven't seen? Well... We haven't seen them, so they're not iconic. <laughs> uh, what we're familiar with, if you're just talking you know, strictly about the Civil War era photography, uh, you're mostly talking about the Matthew Brady collections. Uh, you know, that is the Civil War photographer. We don't know about James Presley Ball. We don't know about the Augustus Washingtons. We don't know about all the countless nameless people who were doing photography at that time. And, and so part of what we've done is to bring some of those hidden, those forgotten, those overlooked people uh, into prominence so that we can see these things, so that we can understand, aha, uh, that it's a much bigger, much broader uh, you know, uh, history than has been you know, the little sliver that, that's been given to us. 
Um, we certainly, in, in terms of the broader breadth of the film, we certainly cover the, the Gordon Parks and the Roy D. Carrafas. Uh, those would be two of the most iconic names that, that people might be familiar with. Uh, but you know, thinking in terms of uh, you know, Robert Senstak, who was a photographer for the Chicago Defender during the Civil Rights Marches especially, or Jack Franklin, a uh, photographer out of Philadelphia, or uh, someone like um, um, Dawit Petrus, who's a, uh, an Eritrean, Canadian-American photographer uh, you know, who's filming his lived realities today. Uh, these, these names may not be familiar with people, but you see their work in the course of the film, and, and you see that they're all part of this great lineage uh, that goes all the way back to Jules Leon. Okay. Yeah, um, speaking earlier about uh, iconic folk, I'm thinking of Frederick Douglass and his, uh, he had a white family, of course. Were there any new images of he and his white family uh, come about through your research? No, we didn't uh, didn't look at, at his family portraits in, in terms of the Frederick Douglass um, you know, part of the film. Uh, and in the early days, you know, or, or talking about that earlier period, we did focus on on two people who used photography in very strategic ways to make very definitive points at critical moments in in, in the public dialogue, if you will, about the role and place of blacks in the culture. Frederick Douglass was certainly one of those. Uh, he made in the course of his lifetime somewhere in the order of 160 photographs uh, and, and became one of, if not the most photographed man of, of, of his era uh, as a result. And his use of photography was the interesting element to us because he was making a, a point. He was, number one, he was, he was saying, look at me, I'm human, I'm just like you. Uh, that you know, I'm a person worthy of respect. I'm a person who who is you know not destitute. I'm not a, 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 a ward of the state. Uh, I, I'm I'm a fully self-actualized person. Look at me. Uh, and and by the way he dressed, the way he carried himself, the way the portrait you know he he molded himself in the portraits in order to make and emphasize that point. And of course everybody knows him as a great orator. But in terms of the portraiture and, and the use of that portraiture, he's important to us because not only of the example that he, that he set, but also because he saw in the 1840s, 18, late 1840s, early 1850s, he saw the value of photography for black people. Number one, it was a way to have self-employment. If you were a photographer, you controlled your destiny. And, and he encouraged people to take up the camera and use it to depict us and our people in, in positive ways that showed us as valuable citizens, as people worthy of respect. Uh, the second element to that was that by controlling our image, we couldn't get a good image at the hands of, 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 of white photographers because they were invested in the negative portrayal of black people in order to justify the economic isolation and, and the economic exploitation of black people as enslaved people. Uh, or they had a political motive in terms of the, uh, uh, the, the, the abolitionist folks, uh, one, you know, to, to, to try to fight slavery, but very, very, very few of the abolitionists, white abolitionists, were for an integrated or inclusive society. 
their whole thing was that we'll send them back to Africa. Uh, so there was still, a, even within their use of photography to show, uh, you know, the, 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 the white slavery should be abolished, uh, there was still a tinge of, of racial uh, separation, racial animosity in it. But Douglas saw that this was something that it, through the wealth of the images we could create ourselves, we could emancipate, liberate in our own minds who we are, uh, because we would see these images of us as, as people uh, that were self-actualized, that were of value, that, 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 that had value in the culture. Uh, the second person that we focused on was Sojourner Truth. People know of Sojourner Truth, you know, I Sell the Shadow to Support the Substance, uh, early suffragette, abolitionist, but she was also equally as strategic in her use of photography in order to make political point. Uh, and, uh, you know, this is a woman that but people may not know. They look at some of these photographs. She was illiterate. She couldn't read. Uh, she she did have good eyesight. She, she didn't need glasses. And yet when you look at the the way the, 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 the portraits of her have been constructed, they show that, you know, she's learned. She's holding books. She's wearing glasses. She's looking proper uh, in, in terms of the context of the time. Uh, she's dressed as a as again a woman who is self-actualized, self-possessed uh, in, in her own dignity. Uh, and these are very, very. You know, uh, we couldn't find very many women who had so many portraits and who used them so strategically at that moment. So she certainly was an icon from that perspective. What other females did you find that used uh, that imagery to their advantage uh, prior to the Civil War? We, we, this really wasn't a survey in that sense. Um, and and we, we do have a number of, of women, black women photographers, uh, who are active. But the earliest one that we focus on is Florestine Perel Collins in New Orleans again. Uh, who was in the 1900 census? There were there were 101 uh, photographers in the entire country, and Florestine is listed as a photographer. Well, actually, 101 women were photographers in the entire country, and she was listed as one of the 101. So we do know that there were at least one out of 100 black you know, uh, uh, photographers. There, there was at least one black woman. Um, but she she really was one of the earliest ones that, that we focus on. And what was interesting about her, uh, aside from the great research that uh, her great-grandniece did uh, to bring the story to light, is that in New Orleans, in the 1900s, she started her own photography shop by herself uh, as, a, as an entrepreneur. She didn't have a husband uh, who helped her. She didn't have a brother who was kind of the face of it, and she worked behind the scenes. She put it together and started it on her own, and she was a proprietress of that studio. Uh, and and uh, she certainly was one of the earliest to do that. Now, there were a number of other uh, uh, black women who were doing photography, but not like that, not not in terms of, of being a, a, a true entrepreneurial uh, you know, self-possessed woman who is, this is my business, and, and, and she she really went out of her way to, to photograph uh, all sectors of the New Orleans society at that time, including a number of black subjects. And are her images available? 
where would uh there, well if you were to to, to Google uh, Florestine Perot Collins, uh, you would find some of her images, but not very many. Okay. Um, I'm also thinking here of the uh, when we talk about photography and how it's used to convince or sway. I'm thinking of the Emmett Till situation and his mother's yep. decision to publicize his his photo in the Jet magazine. Um, yes, exactly, and and that is a very critical moment uh, in the film as well. Uh, we we it, because it, it it also crystallized the role of the black press uh at, at in terms of really jump starting the civil rights movement even before Rosa Parks uh refused to move from the back of the bus. Uh I, I mean you could look at that as 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 kind of like the real start of the civil rights movement was was there. I mean the black press was all over that. Uh we focus on um Ernest Ernest Withers uh, who was the, one, of the, one of the photographers uh, at the Emmett Till trial. He also created a small booklet uh, about the trial, uh, and, and you have a whole lot of, of uh, images, some of which people may be familiar with, but many, many more that people are not familiar with uh, that, that we do the show in, in, in that particular moment uh, in, in the, uh, the mid-50s. I'm sorry? I said we do show some of those uh, Ernest Wither photographs that, that you know, aside from the the the, the, the more iconic uh, image of, of Emmett Till in his casket, um, there are a number of other images that you know people may not be familiar with that uh, are equally important, uh, and we certainly give them quite a bit of play. Okay, um, what about images from the sports world, um, going back to Negro Leagues baseball, et cetera? Is that covered um, in we, No, no, we, we didn't cover that. Um, we, we, we were really focusing on the photographers, and we were really looking at the push uh, forward in terms of advancing, uh, a, 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 as uh, Deb Willis, who is also one of the co-producers of the film and whose book, Reflections in Black, uh, was the uh, initial inspiration for the film, says, you know, that, that create a social, a political, and and, uh, and historical space for the black subject, for black people in the culture, um, and and so it really is a it, it's a look at the use of photography to to advance the race, if you will. Okay, then we talk about that power of those images and the positive ways in which they were used. How does that compare or contrast? to the images we see today on Facebook, rap videos, social media, uh, pop uh, paparazzi? How do you compare and contrast that? In many ways, it's quite similar to what people were fighting against uh, you know, over the generations, uh, over, over the 170-odd years that the, that the film covers. Um, I'm struck, really, by... You know, if, if, the, one of the most, I think, uh, poignant parts of the film is looking at the images from the uh, the, the 1900 Paris exhibition that uh, was, uh, there was a Negro exhibition, the Georgian Negro exhibit at the 1900 World's Fair. Uh, WBD Du Bois was the curator. Uh, Thomas Askew, a black photographer from Atlanta, uh, was the principal photographer that was used. 
uh, Booker T. Washington, uh, another very savvy user of photography uh, in order to make it a point and, and to advance uh, an issue, uh, was the sponsor behind it. He, he was able to get the U.S. government actually to pay for uh, the exhibit to be assembled and then to travel to, uh, to Paris. But when you look at these images of, of a thriving uh, black middle-class uh, Victorian, uh, you know, 70, not even 70, not even a generation past the Civil War, um, it, it, in, in contrast to what were the popular images uh, of blacks as criminals, the black brute, as blacks as lazy, the watermelon, the alligator bait. Um, I mean, that di- dichotomy in terms of the way the black subject has been shown is, is almost exactly what we're dealing with today uh, in terms of just solid, everyday black folk going about their lives being self-possessed, uh, being uh, self-determined, uh, you know, validated in, in what they do versus, yeah, showing us as, um, you know, the, the uh, thugs or gangsters or uh, whores or uh, you know, irresponsible uh, criminal. I mean, it, it's almost exactly the same thing. Uh, and, and one of the things that we've, we've been telling people is we've gone through uh, a number of these Q&As after the film you know, those who forget the past are, are, are ultimately going to repeat it. And, and what we see is an ignorance about who we are, where we come from as a culture, having to be relearned almost all over again, um, not just white folks, but black folks as well. Yeah, those images, uh, as you were uh, recounting that, I was thinking of the images coming out of Ferguson, Missouri, uh, during yep. that instance, uh when uh, Michael Brown was shot down with his hands in the air and how uh, the people that were out there trying to get their rights are described as protesters, rowdy, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Well, just go back back to uh, Katrina, right? There was a famous uh, image on the front page of the New York Times that showed two people uh, or two couples, uh, a black couple and a white couple post Katrina. Uh, a white couple is shown, uh, you know, amongst a, a whole bunch of debris and, and, and kind of, you know, picking up things uh, you know, that are around them, and they're, they're, they're said they're trying to rebuild their lives. You have black people in a not dissimilar pose, and they're described as looters. It's the same thing, right? But, you know, after the Civil War, we had in, in, in the Reconstruction period, we, we had black people trying to get their families together, trying to, to, to build them, themselves up, get their lives together. They showed these images of them as families. And then at the same time, you know, we're being described as marauders and looters and people that, you know, that, that are not under civil control. So whether it's the 1870s, whether it's uh, you know, Katrina in 2005, or, or if it's Ferguson uh, in 2014, you know, we as an ahistorical society because we refuse to learn, are condemned to repeat our past. Were there any photographers back in the day that covered the uh, New York draft riots? Did that? Uh, I'm, uh, you know, the draft riots were 1850s. I'm sure there were, but we, we, we didn't 
didn't find any. That didn't come across your radar then? No. Those images, if they exist, um, they, they've not been digitized, and they're, 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 not, they're, they're, they're part of the hidden history. Um, I forget the exact number of archives we looked at, uh, but it, 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 it's you know, approaching several hundred archives all across the country, and a very, very limited and, 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 and just scratching the surface, uh, really, of their collections are digitized at all. Most of them, you know, are still li dealing with physical artifacts, and in, in many cases, some of those physical artifacts, the actual photographs, aren't even cataloged. So, it, again, it's a, what we try to do in, in a very limited amount of time is to show in a, in a kind of a tantalizing tease the richness, the vastness that's out there still. And we kind of like are, are encouraging folks to pick up that baton to, uh, you know, to go out and discover and find. Uh, you know, like, uh, you know, we have a section in the film where we talk about the Frozen Renaissance. And, and one of the things we try to convey is that imagistically, you know, we are familiar with, culture is familiar with, James Vanderzee, because those are the images that not necessarily the only ones that survived, but because of the, the reappraisal uh, of his career and his life that took place in, uh, I think it was 1986, uh, there was a big exhibit at the Museum of Modern Art. Uh, it just brought him back to, to the forefront of, of people's consciousness and their, their, their collective understanding. Ah, there's, there's Vandersen. But there were many Vandersen's across the country. Uh, the, there was a Harlem Renaissance going on in the 1920s and 1930s uh, from Richard Rogers, uh, Richard Roberts, rather, in, uh, in South okay. Carolina, uh, all the way uh, to, uh, to San Francisco. Uh, and and uh, Lewis Watts, who is a photographer, uh, as well as a professor, I think at UC Santa Cruz, uh, has put together a wonderful book uh, called Harlem of the West. And he has a number of images uh, of, that were being taken uh, from San Francisco, from um, the name of the uh, exact part of San Francisco. Um, uh, it's, um, I know it begins with an S. <laughs> it's, uh, uh, and it's uh, Fremont, I think. No, it's not Fremont, but it's it's in San Francisco. It's a famous, uh, was a very very famous jazz location within San Francisco, and it was it, it was there, Air Harlem. Um, all the clubs were there. Uh, the you know, all the all the people were there. The, I mean, it, it was uh, it was really quite special. But you know, those are almost completely unknown to us. Uh, and so, you know, one of the things that Lewis was, was, was it's so great for him to have done, um, is to have, you know, finally bring their names in, into the public consciousness. You mentioned earlier, going back, uh, going back to Reconstruction, where could an average black family uh, go into a black studio, be photographed, and how much would it cost them? Uh, it, it was, as uh, Cheryl Davis um, who's also a, a scholar, uh, art historian, uh, says it, it, was a, it was a sacrifice for them. Um, I mean, these, these were not necessarily people with a lot of, of, of disposable income. Uh, and so to go to a studio and to have a portrait taken, you know, you, we have to think. It's not the same as today where you, you just take your cell phone and you point it out there and you make a selfie and boom, you've got a picture. Uh, 
uh, going into a studio uh, meant you know several hours out of your your day uh, because the technology was slow, uh, and and you know in order to make the portrait to make the, the picture, uh, it it took at least an hour, uh, you know, to stand there perfectly still without moving, uh, and and it cost, uh, you know, if it was twenty five cents or fifty cents in that time, uh, you know, right. it'd probably be equivalent to uh, you know twenty five or fifty dollars today. Yeah, that would be quite a hit for some families. Um, you know, and yet a lot of- they did it, and yet they did it. That's just, this is the other important thing, because we show some of these photographs for exactly that reason, because it was so important to these people to be recorded, to have that image taken, because it, it, it was a statement. It wasn't just a casual Oh, you know, I'm going to take this photograph. Boom! No, they they may have saved up for, and we have to think about the time as well, because what we're looking at, um, in 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 a number of cases, were formerly enslaved people, and they're able to say now, this is who I am, this is the way I see myself, this is the, the image that I'm putting out into the world, not just for me, but for the people I love. And for the people that you know, the, the the generations unborn. I mean, these folks, in order to make that commitment, um, they they did it with considerable uh, intention, intentionality uh, about that act, and they understood how important it was to to make that sacrifice. And this is this is important for us today because we've got young people out here who are taking photographs willy nilly. We, we live in, a, in an era where photographs and photographic images you know, bombard us from all sides. I mean, it's, they're, they're so ubiquitous that we don't even think about them anymore. And yet, 100 years from now, 200 years from now, some of these cell phones are going to be dug up by some future, uh, and they're going to use those images as a way of trying to understand what was happening here and now. And, and so this is, you know, we, we, we need to spend a little bit more time uh, being a little little more considerate in terms of, you know, what is it that we're doing and where are these images going? Um, Hello? Why do you think it's been so long since someone like yourself has come on? I don't know what happened to, uh, can you hear me? Yes. Can you hear I can okay. now. Preston, are you there? I am here. Can you hear me? Okay. All right, great. Okay, go ahead, continue, tell us. No, I'm I'm done. <laughs> Hello? Hello. Did some um Ask the next question, Preston. You can just ask the next question. Okay. Well, we were um I was uh, commending these gentlemen for bringing this film about, um, and um, you know that our people survived slavery. Uh, there's pictures and evidence of that, as you mentioned. It shows that we were uh, completely involved in our own liberation, and I think that's a point um, very well taken because it's so missed today uh, that Abraham Lincoln freed the slaves when actually those that were held in bondage actually save themselves, uh, free themselves from that from that bondage. Um, 
Now, what about the responsibility of photographers today to teach the community uh, relative to this history and the value of uh, picture-taking, image-taking, etc.? Yeah, this is this is really, I think, one of the um, uh, the, the the maybe the, the least focused on element in the film uh, in terms of the way folks you know, review it. But we interweave the history of black photography and black photographers with contemporary photographers and artists who use photography for exactly that purpose, because all of these concurrently working artists and photographers are are incredibly invested in helping people and getting people to understand the importance of these archives to bring these archives into the modern consciousness and to instill in young people uh alternatives for 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 the way they look at themselves Gordon Parks had a, uh, an article in Life magazine, and, and, and he said that it, it was, uh, for him in his life, uh, it was a choice between the gun or the camera. Jamal Shabazz resonated with that when he read that article you know, many, many years later. And for him, it was a choice between the gun or the camera. And starting in the, the late 70s and the 1980s, um, he would go around Brooklyn in the Bronx showing young people, particularly young black men, here's the power of the camera and taking images in your hand. This is where you should put your energies, not in, you know, in the gun. But which is a dead end, uh, and he's not—he's not been alone in that example of, of of contemporary photographers and artists trying to encourage people uh, to see the possibilities and the limitless possibilities in front of them, from the power of taking images and for telling their story and for representing themselves and for validating their experiences. Um, I mean, Jamal uh, is, is, is one generation. Uh, Russell Fredericks is a new generation, um, you know, a Panamanian American working in Bed-Stuy who's uh, you know, certainly uh, photographed a lot of hip-hop, but what he's really interested in photographing are, as he says, his people. You know, he wants them to see themselves for the beautiful people that they are because this is the real danger of not understanding the power of self-representation. If you ingest, as Chester Higgins, another photographer, uh, actually with the New York Times uh, that's in the film says, if you ingest this diet of what the culture feeds you, a diet of, of these derogatory images, of these, the, the, these images that, that debase your, your, your humanity, sooner or later, you don't necessarily see yourself as having any value. And that's what leads to this nihilism, to this, 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 uh, you know, this, this, you know, most young people today thinking that, you know, that the, they have no future, they have no life, and that, you know, if they get to be 30, that's a miracle. But taking control of, of your representation, of, of being able to show yourself as having value, having worth, uh, of being, uh, you know, people uh, who love, who are human, uh, who 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 have um, lives worth living, uh, that can change everything. 
uh, Radcliffe Roy, a Jamaican-American, also living in, in Brooklyn, um, is, is very much on top of this, this part of, of, of the importance and the power of taking pictures and putting them out there. So this is when I was talking about the intentionality, uh, you know, that young people today just taking pictures willy-nilly, oh, you run out of space on the phone, you just delete a whole bunch of things. We have to really begin to see these images for the power that they represent. They're, they're the power of self-determination, of self-actualization, of self-validation. And when we do that, when we see the humanity in them, um, Leopold Sengere, who was a Negritude poet, uh, in the 1960s, uh, says that the photograph is the one true uh, link between one person's eyes and another's heart. This is at the heart of the film. This is what we focus on. How do we see each other? And do we see each other in the fullness of our humanity? Because when we do that, and we see the positive in ourselves, we see something worth fighting for in ourselves, then we're less inclined to destroy ourselves, which is really what's at the core of the gun or the camera choice. You know, you made a, a reference uh, earlier to self-representation. Um, could you give us that quote again? I think that's very important. A number of people are really excited about seeing your film. And um, before we get off the air, I want you to uh, give us a website where folks can go so they can find out when that film is coming to their location. Certainly. Um, the film is being distributed by First Run Features, and, and if you spell out the, the, you know, the uh, F-I-R-S-T, firstrunfeatures.com, and uh, you go to the, you know, click on the, um, the, the, the in theaters now, and, and you'll see through a lens darkly, and you hit that, and it'll take you to our page on the First Run Features website. The trailer is there. Uh, you'll have uh, links for the play dates. You can see some of the reviews, what, what people are saying in the press, uh, and you'll, you'll also have um, an ability. If we're not coming to your city, uh, there, we, we are also working with an outfit called Tug, T-U-G-G dot com. And what Tug will do is if you can get uh, 75 or 100 of your friends together, they will bring the film to, to you. Uh, and, and so there's a, there's a link uh, to Tug for you to be able to do that as well. And, of course, right. our website. Uh, our, our our website where we try to keep it up to date, uh, but things have been moving so fast, so we're just a little step behind. But uh, there's a lot of material uh, at the the numeral one world numeral one family dot me m e, um, and that that will take you to uh, you can see through a lens darkly there. Uh, there there's a lot. You know, we interviewed uh, 52 people for the film. And we were certainly not able to get all of them into it. Uh, we only had 90 minutes. Um, but what we are doing is releasing some of the material uh, in what we called uh, Thrulin's Darkly Short Shots. And these short shots uh, cover everything from um, you know, what inspired people to, uh, to take up the camera, uh, when they first got their camera, uh, how they, they perfected their craft, 
some very interesting personal reflection uh, by the photographers and, uh, and and the scholars who are dealing with photography about these archives. I mean, there's been some some incredible stories. You'll find that uh, at the One World One Family dot M E uh, website. You'll also have information there about our companion transmedia project, which is called Digital Diaspora Family Reunion, and DDFR for short. And what's important about DDFR is that an integral part of being able to make the film was being able to find the images. And because a lot of images were not available in, in archives, uh, we created a project that would go around and activate personal archives. Individuals in their own families uh, can come to a digital diaspora event, uh, and at this event, uh, we, we would teach them about visual literacy. We would uh, help them with uh, digitization. We'd introduce how to do it, uh, and we would provide space for people to share their own family stories and, and images. Uh, and it was through that process that we were able to find almost another 10,000 images, uh, and, and, and many of which uh, ultimately did wake it into the film, because they were, they were covering periods of time when we just didn't have any images. So we, we would be in the 1880s, and uh, we'd be looking for images from the South, and, well, lo and behold, the people who had them were black families in the South, or black families from the South, uh, and because their ancestors had gone to black photographers and had studio portraits taken, that we would have that, that those archival images now. So uh, Digital Diaspora travels around the country. Uh, in many cases, it travels with the film. And we'll have the screenings of the film on one side, and we'll have Digital Diaspora roadshows on another. And uh, it gives the people an opportunity to put their own story into the public record, into the history, because that really is what it's all about. Um, what has come to us as, quote, the, the received wisdom uh, of, of history uh, has been shaped and, and tailored depending on the, the um, you know, particular points of view of the gatekeepers for that official history. And what's really important is the history that we're, that we're sitting on, that we have in our own archives. And that you know, doesn't, a, a, doesn't have an ability to come out unless we create these, these, these spaces for it. And that's what we did with Digital Diaspora. Oh, that is uh, totally awesome there. Uh, I want to ask you about images and textbooks. Our uh, producer, Leslie, um, revealed to us that her mother uh, cried at the thought of being a student and had to read a book called The Twelve Little Negroes and how the white students um, cackled and laughed at her. Are you doing any work towards addressing images and textbooks? We're not doing that directly, um, but we are certainly, uh, we, we've made some stabs at creating educational uh, activities and curricula materials uh, around uh the, the, the new images and new archives that we have found, uh, and, and some of those are available um, on our One World, One Family um, uh, website under the Digital Diaspora Educational Resources. Um, because we know that you know, the history of photography, the history of images of black people uh, has not expanded 
in in the uh, the 35 40 years that that Deborah Willis has been creating the field if you will because she really has been the pioneer uh at trying to to in, get this history to become known and to get it included uh in into uh, uh you know historical uh, uh literature uh, and you know, when, and she was inspired by the fact that, in, 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 as a student of photography, uh, in the 1960s there were only two textbooks, and in, in both of those textbooks there were no black photographers at all, and there were very, very few images of black people. And what images there were showed us in, in as broken down, uh, you know, poor, uh, you know, basically forgettable subjects. And so she, she coming from a family um, that 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 used a lot of photography, uh, that was familiar with a lot of local photographers in their communities, and knew that there was a wealth of images being made. You know, where are these images, and why aren't they included in these books? And so she took it upon herself, virtually single-handedly, uh, to 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 do the research, to to find these archives, and to make. Some of these images known, and certainly to make more of and these, these black photographers from your uh, family album. Is that correct? Well, yes. Uh, Thomas, uh, yeah, Thomas Harris's uh, grandfather uh, was an amateur photographer, uh, like so many people. Uh, he was he fell in love with the gadget and 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 has always mm -hmm. had one. And uh, the reason we did that is because that's where the history was. So, for instance, um, Robert Allen um, it was a famous photographer, covered a lot of, um, uh, of Harlem Renaissance arts artists primarily. Uh, he was a photographer. He married a woman who hated the fact that he was a photographer, and upon his death, she burned his entire archive, some, some 35,000 oh. negatives. So the only places that you'll have an Allen photograph today are in somebody's archive, somebody's family photo album, which is why, you know, in Thomas's case, their family photo album was rich with images. They had a number of Vanderzee uh, photographs at very critical moments in his grandfather's life. He also had Austin Hansen photographs. Uh, you know, Austin Hansen became a family photographer for some of their, their bigger celebrations. Uh, and and you know, uh, this is just one person, one family, but they, because of the times that they lived and the things that they did, they were able to build an archive that, from an historical perspective now, in hindsight, is really quite remarkable. And so part of what we wanted to do in terms of how do you find a, a, a narrative thread to get through all of this history we felt it was a family photo album, and, and what better way than what, you know to personalize this story and and to use uh, the the journey of Thomas's grandfather and his father in contrast, uh, and how they used the camera, how they saw the power of of making images uh, in terms of defining themselves and creating a, a a space for themselves in the culture. Oh man, that is great. Also, I know your film uh, concentrates on photography, but I'm interested to know about moving images. When did that come into play? Do you have some information on that um, when it comes to black folk? Because I think there has been some images, moving images, that are coming forth from the 1920s, uh, particularly in Oklahoma, Louisiana, et cetera. 
the film yes. don't touch on that in any way? Uh, the film does not touch on the moving image. This film doesn't touch on the moving image. Uh, and we were certainly there uh, at the beginning of, of, of that technology as well. Uh, I mean, even before Oscar Michaud, uh, there were black uh, filmmakers uh, on both the East and West Coast, and as well as uh, you know, people making their own what we would call uh, family family videos, uh, you know, throughout the South. There's a there's a very famous uh, uh, reverend from Atlanta who, uh, who 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 went on a tour of of the Southern states, and he took just unbelievable photographs in the 1900s um, or, or moving moving images uh, from like 1912 to the 1918. Um, so we know that we're there, and that really is the subject of another project that uh, that that we've uh, been developing, and and will probably turn our attention to once this film kind of like gets past uh, it, its freshness. It's just coming out now, but um, that project is called From Property to Person, and it looks at uh, the you know the representation of, of the black subject in popular culture. And the moving image movies um, is, is really one of the focuses of that. Oh man, I'll really be looking forward to that. In addition to um, your current film, Reflections in Black Through a Lens Darkly, um, which is based on a book by Deborah Willis. And, right. Uh, do you have anything else to add? Um, our hour is just about up. Is there something or some image or some um, fact that you really want to get across to our listeners? Um, I, I think the most important... To see your film? Oh, we definitely encourage them to come out and see the film. We definitely want them to bring young people to see this film. Uh, <clears> yes, there are, some, there are some hard images in the film, so we don't think it's necessarily appropriate for very young children. But if uh, they're 13, 14, 15 years old and up, uh, you know, bring them because this is for them. Uh, th this, this film will show them. I mean, we start off, uh, you know, the Sheila Prebright, uh, who's from Georgia, uh, a, a, a brilliant young photographer. She was telling a story in the film about how uh, at six years old, you know, she, she's with an army brat family. They're in Germany. And she discovers to her horror that she's not like the other kids in her elementary school. She discovers that she's black and she didn't want to be black. This is a woman who is maybe all of, uh, you know, her, her mid to late twenties. So this is not that, that long ago. And, and this is not like, uh, you know, we're looking at the Gordon Parks, uh, you know, 1954 images uh, with the doll test. This, this, this is something, you know, much, much more contemporary. Exactly. She didn't want to be black. And, and what we're trying to do with this film is to address all those children who had that feeling that being black is somehow to be less than. This film is something to celebrate to say, yes, we are, and we're proud of that fact. And I think that's so vitally important in these particular day and age because part of, part of the problem that we face as a culture, let alone as a people, is a sense that somehow we're not worthy. 
and that couldn't be further from the truth. And when you see these images and you see these people who have withstood infinitely more trial and tribulation than we today have withstood, and they still stand proud, they stand sure, they stand mm-hmm. affirmed, that's important. And, and we need, we need, we, that's a history that we need to remember uh, because it, it can inform how we deal with the issues that we, we confront every day. Yes, let's go back to the doll test that you mentioned because uh, yes. I'm sure a lot of our younger uh, viewers or listeners may not know what you're talking about. And that would be the original doll test, and I think it was replicated. Could you give us a short review on that? Yes, in in uh, in, in the lead up to what would become Brown versus Board of Education, Thurgood Marshall uh, and the the National um, Association, uh, the NAACP Legal Defense and Education Fund, uh, um, asked a very prominent black. Uh, um, uh, scholar to, um, and, and his name just flew out of my head, John, and I, I forget, um, but they asked, you know, they, they needed to, to do some work about uh, the way black people are viewed, and so they constructed this test. They had two dolls, a black doll and a white doll, and they would ask black children to a, a series of questions and have them point to the doll. So, for instance, they would ask which doll, uh, which doll do you think is better, or which doll do you think is is, is uh, um, you know more fair, or which one do you think is uh, better, looking. You know, better looking, more moral, all all of these different value questions, and almost uniformly, uh, the black children were, would would point positive to the white doll, and all the negatives to the black doll. Uh, and uh, that was part of what they presented, what, what, what Thurgood Marshall presented to the, uh, the, the Supreme Court and their arguments on why separate but equal was not working. And, and it was partly on the basis of those doll tests that, 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 that Brown versus Board of Education was, was, was held the way it was. And wasn't that uh, study replicated? With nearly the same results, it was. Uh, I don't know if it was in the 2000s or it was in the late 1990s. Uh, no, but uh, yeah, yes, I think it was probably as late as 2008 or nine. Yeah, yeah, and and yeah. the results are almost exactly the same. Yeah, exactly. It, it okay, was just, you know... go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> go ahead. I didn't mean to cut you off. It's been a pleasure. Okay, and again, uh, my guest has been uh, Don Terry along with Thomas Allen uh, Harris um, uh, in reference to their film, Reflections in Black Through a Lens Darkly, based on the... The the film is actually Through a Lens Darkly, Black Photographers and the Emergence of a People, and it was inspired by the Deb Willis book, Reflections in Black. Okay. Got that straight. Thank you. And they can go to firstrunfeatures.com right. uh, to find out when that film is coming to their location. And also a trailer is there. Right, exactly. Okay. And if if for some other reason it's not coming to, this, to their particular location, uh, through firstrunfeatures.com, they can also access tug, T-U-G-G.com, 
uh, and and they can request a special screening if they mm-hmm. put together a group of 75 to 100 people. Great. Uh, we're going to close the show out, and I'm going to let you have the last word. Well, I encourage everyone to uh, keep taking photographs and, more importantly, archive them, save them. These are precious objects that we shouldn't lose sight of the fact that they're our history today, they will be our history tomorrow, and they're so important for passing on to the next generation, the the generation that's not yet born. Thank you for uh, taking time out of your busy schedule to come on the show this evening. We appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you so much. Okay. Good night. Take care. All right. Okay, everyone, uh, these shows are available at iTunes. Black History University. Just Google that. And if you have ideas for shows, uh, give our producer uh, information on that. And my name is Preston Washington. I've been your host, and I want to say good night to everyone. Good night. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.